welcome to the 11th episode of the Football Media Podcast on the team of John O'Shea's platform. I'm John McKenzie and across the course of the new season, I'm going to be bringing you a weekly podcast that seeks to open up the often murky underworld of the football media. This week I'm speaking to Matthew Barrett, founder of the social enterprise Goal Click. In the course of our conversation, we discuss the function of Goal Click, how its role as a social enterprise works, and look at how it fits into the wider media landscape. If you enjoy this podcast, please share it with your friends, subscribe, rate and review on iTunes in order to help us gain exposure, and if you're a social media person, follow us on Twitter at Footy Media Pod. Next week we will be featuring a roundtable discussion on women and the football media, but before that it's Matthew Barrett, Goal Click, and the place of social enterprise in football. Enjoy. I'm joined today by Matthew Barrett, founder of Gold Click. Matthew, how are you doing? I'm very well, John. Yeah, it's good to have you on. We've been planning to have this chat for a while. A long, long time. Nice to finally get get around to doing it. I begin all of these podcast episodes by asking the guests to, to sort of situate themselves within the football media. So tell us a little bit about your background and how you ended up being in the media. So my background from a career perspective um, is in the sports marketing world, uh, predominantly sponsorship. So I worked for nine years as part of WPP and for various agencies working in communications and, and sales and uh, consultancy uh, within the sports world. I founded GoalClick four years ago with a friend of mine um, and it was a side hustle predominantly for the first three years of that and then uh, earlier this year I decided to devote myself full-time to GoalClick so that is how I find myself here today. Do you consider yourself a part of the media in that sense? Which is, is that, sometimes I say this to people and they sort of, or I'll describe someone as maybe a journalist or something and they're like, I don't feel like a journalist. I believe that GoalClick is part of the media. I therefore see myself as part of the media. I think GoalClick has always felt like a coming together of a journalistic passion and endeavour with a sports marketing background mixed in with a academic uh, desire to look at sport um, and war zones and sport and politics and how sport can kind of describe the world. So it's a mishmash really of all those elements. But yes, I would definitely describe Gold Click as, as being um, at its heart uh, a media company as well as a social enterprise. Tell us a little bit about Gold Click because I think in terms, even in terms of the, the idea is, it's, it's quite a unique approach to doing sports media. So let's go through the, like, the basic structure of it and then we can talk about maybe the history behind it. Goal Click actually is probably best to go from the beginning really to give you a sense of where it came from. So it started as um, what I sometimes call a slightly crazy idea, um, but it was certainly more of a artistic vision. Um, we would find uh, one person from every country in the world, uh, we would send them a disposable analogue camera and we'd ask them to tell a story about themselves, their community or their country through the lens of football. So that was how it all started uh, four years ago. And the first camera we got back was from Sierra Leone, from the National Amputee Football Association of Sierra Leone. And the moment we saw those photos and the story behind it, we knew we were onto something a bit bigger than just a one-off um, project. So if I were to kind of describe what GoalClick is today, um, as I said, you know, we're a social enterprise that has a mission to help people understand one another through football. We do that by finding great people and amazing stories from all over the world. And we give those people the power um, and the control to tell their own story from their own perspective through football, whether that is about themselves or their local community or their country as a whole. It's really um, yeah, putting the power in the hands of people to, to show their own story. 
Talk to us a little bit maybe about the idea of a social enterprise then, because I, I, I must admit, Mayor Culper, I referred to you as, as a charity in the, in the blurb to the last episode, um, and that's not the case. You aren't a charity, you are a social enterprise. So talk us through that. What's the reasoning behind um, self-defining in that way? Um, how does that differ from a charity? How does it differ from being a full, fully private company? It's a, maybe not a minefield, but um, it's, uh, it's definitely a part of the world which has lots of misunderstanding and can be quite vague at many times. So we're not a charity. Um, we are what we would describe as a social enterprise. We are a business that wants to um, work um, with lots of different partners, um, whether it be brands or sports organizations or media partners and NGOs, um, and ultimately have a higher purpose to the work we're doing, uh, which is in this case, storytelling. Um, we clearly have big social credentials in the fact that we um, work with a lot of NGOs and charities. Probably about a third of our stories come from that sector. But we personally um, aren't a charity um, existing on grants and delivering um, you know, specific community projects, for instance, which is usually what I mean, our charity in the sports sector would do. Um, so we like that we are um, you know, a company that is um, doing good things and has a social purpose at its heart and partners with lots of great organizations and, and charitable um, foundations and companies. But um, you know, we are equally part of the media and we are um, you know, in the business of finding great stories and telling them. It feels as though a lot of the stuff that you do is is quite innovative in the sense that, and and one of the recurring themes on this podcast is this idea that often the football slash sports media are quite behind the curve in terms of what's going on in in media in general. To what extent has that been your experience of of working within the media, and what sort of benefits do you think that gives you in the in the sort of immediate term? Well, I think it would be probably a little bit rich if someone who'd started a company based on analog photos <laughs> was uh, was saying that other people were behind the curve um but that's just quite a nice little irony i guess we see great work coming out of the football media industry i'm sure we'll talk later about certain other companies that we both like the output of i think that sometimes um we have to be quite careful in terms of how we describe ourselves because i think when we started the project we would go big on the fact that we were doing an analog project about football I think now we've really seen that the sweet spot of GoalClick is the fact that it's telling first-person stories and the network that we have that allows us to uncover those untold stories in, you know, both um, well-known and completely unknown parts of the world uh, is our strong selling point. And the most important thing about what we're doing is that prioritization of the first-person narrative. At the moment, it is through football and will continue to be for a long time. It's starts initially with a disposable analog camera but then it's quickly backed up with the words of the storyteller um, and we are also starting to capture audio and we're looking at what gold click video will look like um, over the coming six to nine months so for us it's almost inverting that way of talking about ourselves which started off as quite a cool zany project and is now firmly about that first person narrative storytelling. And, and there is a real market for that in the media. There are people that are doing it very well and similarly to us, but not quite the same. Um, you know, we've spoken about the Players' Tribune and, and their focus on first person narratives from an athlete point of view. Um, we've spoken about Humans of New York as a project that started off again with that first person storytelling, albeit the photography was taken by professionals. 
So there is a desire for those kind of stories, but we're certainly not saturated by um, organizations doing that because it's hard. Um, it takes more time. It takes more trust. It takes a real in-depth um, look at things and partnering with the storyteller a bit more deeply than is usual. I want to talk about this notion of like the first person narrative and authenticity because obviously that's the that's the USP really it's is it, it, and it always will be and I think in the sports media in a capitalist framework how do you do authenticity without looking inauthentic we can talk about the players tribune you've mentioned uh, all, all these other outlets that the copper 90 comes to mind as well they they're trying to jump on this idea that actually what's as as interesting as what's going on the pitch is what's going on off the pitch i guess i'd i'd I would want to push you on this sort of how do you get that balance right between buying into fan experience without it becoming just a thinly veiled excuse for a sort of capitalist self-interest um, <laughs> which is maybe a hard-hitting question but um you, you can see where i'm coming from is it, i think that's why i want to talk about the, the social enterprise element as well because i think that's what differentiates a lot of a lot of this from from maybe just saying oh look here's a here's an area we can monetize let's jump into this area and, and farm it for all it's worth until it's no longer profitable it's, it's more than that for for gold click right i think you may be surprised with a bit of my answer um I generally think that all the things you just said bleed into one another. It's a huge hodgepodge of grey. <laughs> there is no black and white in terms of you're either doing this or you're doing that in terms of you are either the most authentic project in the world or you're a capitalist sellout. There is a, you know, a line where people would say you cross from going from one to the other, but I, I don't really feel comfortable criticizing people who've, you know, in some eyes, might have gone too far one way or too far the other. I think that we are trying to do both. You know, and there is nothing wrong with um, with working with as many different people as possible and trying to, I guess, change from the inside out. One thing we found with Gold Click is that even perceived inauthenticity can be interesting. So we've got a camera in North Korea at the moment. We know that what we get back from that won't be an authentic look at someone's view on the world necessarily but god is going to tell us a lot about that country so you extrapolate that out to anything really and we always say that we will cover anything that tells a story and really that isn't necessarily one specific type of story we don't want to have lots of carbon copies of the same kind of fan culture or the same kind of playing or the same kind of um, grassroots organization diversity is good and therefore you're going to go across the whole spectrum from you know what would maybe be considered by some people to be selling out um and right to the way the other to the other side so i like this idea of a spectrum and not a divide between authentic and inauthentic that makes sense yeah no it very much does i think what i find so interesting about gold click is it is the academic aspect of it it's, it is about a fascination with the way that someone on the other side of the world can have fun football function in, in an entirely different way to someone and and even touching on the north korea thing where you say well will it be an authentic view of north korea well kind of will but the point is is that the authentic view of north korea is that inauthenticity right and so i think what strikes me is that it, it feels very much like an anthropological project as much as anything else you're you're trying to understand what it means to be human and one of the best ways of doing that is talking about football how football functions in people's lives because that's often the way that most people will be authentic I think you've summed it up very well I mean I often say anecdotally there's only two things universal in every single country in the world that's football and fighting and 
football is that entry point into societies and into people's lives that gives you a view and an impression of, of what that country and community is like. I often am asked whether football is this great unifier. I don't really like that sentiment around football. Yes, in some places football can be uni- unifying. In other places it, it might not. I think the reason we use football is because it gives that window into everyone's story. It's not about, oh, give people football and everything will be okay. Everyone will suddenly get on with each other. It's much more complex and interesting than that. It's about how do I find out about people that I've never met, I've never spoken to, and I'll probably never come across through a bit of a common language of football. I think that's what really pleases us about how the project is, has progressed. On your point around the anthropological projects, yes, there is a big element of that, but it's funny how Goal Click means different things to different people who are involved in it. We actually quite like everyone just to have fun and be quite natural and, here's that word again, authentic. It works best when people are taking photos and documenting their story in a very natural and pressure-free way. I think when people start to overanalyze and think too hard about a specific story or a specific type of message they want to give, it can lose its power. So some of our best stories have come from people who, while they've thought about the situations they want to be in, it's clear it's part of their natural life and being. They're not doing something they wouldn't normally do. Yeah. You know, you've spoken positively about the Players' Tribune. You've told me a lot about the way that Gold Click actually functions in terms of the projects. There's a big difference, I think, between the way that the Players' Tribune constructs their content and the way that you guys do it. And the, the way that you guys do it, well, talk us through that process because you, you send a camera out somewhere. And what's the process that leads up to that? Is it you, you, How do you get people to contact you, etc.? So it's a... It's a really long, grueling process, but is really rewarding when it works out well. So how we start is we are finding stories both through crowdsourced applications, um, people approaching us through our website, through social media. The word of mouth is strong now. We go through lots and lots of proxies, I guess, to get into places we could never get into. We don't want Gold Click to be a study of the English-speaking middle class of every society in the world. So we do go down the rabbit hole, so to speak, in terms of we can sometimes be six steps removed from someone who ends up being our storyteller. We also proactively look for certain stories in certain places and around certain themes where we're doing specific projects. But generally, we find our storytellers and we build up a rapport with them. We make sure they understand what's going on, what some previous examples of the project have been. And I should also say this is sometimes one step removed from the storytelling because they may not speak English um, or they may be not on communications that, that we use, although GoldClick pretty much is run off WhatsApp um, and, uh, and Skype these days. But once that kind of rapport is established um, and they kind of feel comfortable with what is being asked of them, we send out a camera to them through the post although we would like to work with a logistics and career partner, <laughs> if any are listening. And somehow the package gets to that place in the world. We've had some hilarious examples of packages taking 15 months to get into certain countries. We've had wonderful examples of packages taking three days to get into places I never thought they'd get to. So uh, I think Azerbaijan and Zambia um, are our records turning up 14 or 15 months later. <laughs> so I think I know a bit more about the postal services of every country in the world than I ever hoped to. And 
what a normal person should know. But it's part of the fun as well. So once the camera arrives, we give the photographers a couple of months to take their photos. There's really no deadline. Um, we want them to feel comfortable, natural, no pressure to tell the story as they see it through their own eyes. And then when they are finished, they will... The only task for them really is to get, get the camera back to us somehow. Now, again, that is can be a challenge. Um, we just received our Botswana camera back. It had spent a year and a half in country waiting for someone to travel from that country to Europe um, and then send it to us. Um, but generally, um, we find ways of getting the cameras back to us, either through intermediaries or through the postal system. And then we get it back and we develop it. And usually of a roll of 24 Probably half of those photos are good quality. Probably another half of them are really good quality uh, and able to be posted on our website and our social channels and ultimately find their way into exhibitions. Um, and we then ask our storyteller a series of quite open questions for them to tell their story and, and tell us what they were trying to convey with their photos. And then we publish. And that's the, the process. You know, there has been some amusing amounts of time it took brazil three years from start to finish whereas we've also turned around cameras in a month two weeks in fact sometimes so we sometimes call ourselves not short form or long form but slow form content yeah. <laughs> no and that's i think that's a very popular approach to to doing the media these days there is a realization that the, the clickbait culture is unsatisfying for the majority of people I, I don't know anyone who will come out and say yeah you know what i really like clickbait <laughs> um but clickbait can be great as well you know it can satisfy a part of ourselves that we want satisfied potentially yeah well, you know it's it's you wouldn't want to live in a world where everything was completely long yeah, yeah sure, form. sure but I, I think it depends how you're defining clickbait there for, for me clickbait is tricking people into reading something which I don't think anyone really, <laughs> when you push them, would, would be happy with. But that term has become confused with short, sharp doses yeah. of subjects that people do want to read about and sensationalizing headlines to make people read stuff about real news and, and, and proper issues, but, you know, done in a very sudden and disorientating manner. I mean, actually, really, I think clickbait is now almost synonymous with distraction. It's not necessarily poor content, but it's permanent distraction on many, many channels with so much potential great information and great content coming our way that it's almost confused with the idea that you're clicking on everything. <laughs> Just coming back to the, the, the Players' Tribune, because I'd like to talk to you about the actual written content you have, because each each um, post that you put up on your, on your website with the pictures in it has... Uh, interview question answer interviews with the photographer and from when we've talked before you made it quite clear that the only sort of editing that goes on is just for in terms of clarity just updating the the punctuation making things a little bit more clearer making sure that that there is a i guess a, a certain amount of respect given for the actual words that these people are writing so so talk to us about that do you feel strongly about your editorial line in that regard i, mean, I guess it's not the primary reason but that you're, you're producing these things but it does seem quite different from the Players Tribune right which is a bit more polished in the sense that there is a process that goes on behind that that, that creates the narrative whereas you're almost creating the narrative out of saying here you go here's the floor here's the mic here's the here's the keyboard you can have your say I don't think one is necessarily better than the other I think they're different I personally really like the Players Tribune it's one of the companies I most admire and is a definitely a high bellwether for where Goldclick wants to get to in in our next five years I thought their work around the World Cup 
particularly with Lukaku and Sterling, was amazing. And I'm sure they're going to do some equally amazing stuff around the Women's World Cup. So it's just different. Obviously, there is usually with you know, Players' Tribune, they, they want to allow the... Well, actually, very similarly, they want to allow the player or the storyteller to put their own point across. Now, whether the player and the storyteller has a bit more influence around them to craft a specific type of message, I'll, I'll absolutely take that point. We are definitely uh, dealing with people who are giving completely their own perspective from quite a pure mindset. We don't edit, apart from grammar and punctuation and making it um, native to English language because the vast majority of people that we work with um, don't have English as their first language. So that is important to us and it's become more and more important as the project's gone along. It definitely started off being all about the photography and it's now increasingly about the story, I would say. So we think there is room for both of these both these approaches. It's different, not better or worse. I'd like to talk to you a little bit about branding as well. Because I think obviously branding is important in in any media uh, project, but you're working with with brands as well. So you're and you've come from a sports marketing background, so you understand the importance of branding. How much of that comes into play with what you're doing with with GoalClick? How much of conversations you're having with your co-founder and the people who are working with you? How much of that is about thinking about how you are coming across and and also we can move from there into talking about working with brands as well and working talking about different revenue streams, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, but let's start with the the branding. Yeah, the first two years of Gold Click was all a bit, not unprofessional, but the brand wasn't sure of itself. Yeah. I think when we properly sat down and realized we were doing something bigger than just a one-off fun project, and we thought about what we wanted to be and who we wanted to become, we are really comfortable with who we are now and, and why we do things and, and what we're doing. And I think the brand is strong. I think, in a way, it's almost lucky that the name we settled on is is good. Gold Click is a good name it is distinctive it sums up everything we're about people get it and it works on so many levels so you know sometimes the problem with organizations is that just name isn't right we're lucky in that sense we've been very lucky that we've had some great help from designers and um, branding people who have helped us along the way to you know really help us find out what we're trying to do and what our purpose is and you know we like that our you know, values, so to speak, are to be curious, to be interested, to be, um, you know, almost that quiet commentator um, on the world. Um, not necessarily activist, but um, yeah, commentator. It's quite a nice kind of word we like to describe ourselves as. We're very comfortable where we are in, in, in our current state, that we've got a clear identity and we have a clear mission and we have a clear way of working that is different from, we think, the rest of the market. And I guess that then ties in with this notion of working with brands. How important do you think you having a clear brand has been in approaching other brands and saying, how about brand partnerships? Do you think that there's obviously a correlation between those two things? Yeah, look, I mean, as I said at the very start, GoldClick is coming together of a, a journalistic idea with a sports marketing background. And I've always wanted to work with brands and businesses and sports organisations and media partners because... You know, it's a cliche, but doing good is good for business. And it's never been a better time to have a mission like Gold Click and go and talk to brands and sports organisations who, you know, all want to make positive impacts on the world and give people more empowerment to tell their own stories. So the Gold Click model is a sponsorship and partnership model. And 
we think there's you know, so much potential to to kind of work with these organisations. What we found with GoldClick, which is a real help, is that a lot of people just like the project. They just see it, it resonates, they get it, and it allows us to have those conversations in quite a non-salesy kind of way. A lot of people that we've ended up working with have, have entered our orbit as fans of the project and as people who are interested in these kind of stories and the aesthetic that we have created. And then it moves in the direction of, well, how can we work with your organisation or organisations that you're connected with? We have never really gone in cold to a potential partner, which is probably because I don't have a dedicated person to do that for me. (laughs) It's a very much an organic process of finding the right people to work with. And, And you know what? The sports marketing world is relatively small and um particularly in the uk but even globally and so yeah we 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 find we get further when we start conversations with someone who likes the project in its own right rather than necessarily um, what it can do for their brand or their company i think that just naturally filters through Let's talk about the revenue stream stuff because I've, I've just been at a media event uh, which, at which a media report was produced looking back over the past year and looking forward to the, the next year. And one of the big takeaways from that for me was that the, the industry is now talking about the mix of six, which is that you, you the average media company will have six revenue streams or at least six different ways of like thinking about how it's going to engage its audiences. Um, you've already mentioned that you're talking about podcasting. You're talking about video. How how many? Name our six. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, sure, go through it. To what extent do you feel as though it's good to diversify in that sense? And and how are you going about doing that? We definitely will diversify over the next year in in quite a big way. So I've often talked about our potential goal revenue streams being obviously predominantly a partnership sponsorship model with brands and sports organizations and, and media partners obviously within that the the product is original content series uh and our network of storytellers so, so just to get sort of granular that that works by you, you approaching a company and saying and going through that process that you said where you you have that engagement and then they say how can we work with you do you then pitch say a photo series and say how about you sponsor this photo series and then you will have your name attached to it somewhere a bit of both so we've worked with adidas in the UK in the past and when we agreed that partnership we decided to do a London specific content series with them finding 15 Londoners to document their lives through football using our cameras um, and their own words so that was an example of we want to work together what's the relevant issue location city tournament that we can work with to create a new series and that went on their website did it rather than yours or uh, both but actually it was predominantly more physical activation so we had an exhibition space and we there's another revenue well quite absolutely i mean you know the, the every series should end with an exhibition right and an event series and you know involving staff and influencers and vips and you know it should be a that big launch moment of the series should be an exhibition but yeah, that, I mean, that was predominantly around um, having a physical space during the Euro 2016, streaming matches, having events, inviting people down, working with influencers. So that specific partnership was more on that side of thing than I guess the kind of digital and social content that it produced. But then equally, we are creating new series off our own back to then, I guess, sell in to brands and sports organizations. So we are doing a Women's World Cup series right now, which is where most of my focus is at the moment. Um, we are... Getting on board women's internationals from all around the world, club professionals, referees, managers, fan group leaders, 
and we are asking them to tell their story. Um, many of whom haven't had that opportunity before to to really tell their story from their own words, from their own perspective. So we are building that at the moment uh, with an ambition to launch it the month before the Women's World Cup and bring it together in an exhibition in Lyon. And yes, yeah, so that's an example of a series that we are doing anyway, but that could be attached to one of our partners in due course. So a bit of both, really. To return to the revenue streams, it's essentially creating original content series that have digital and social content, physical activations, and potentially, as we you know become more of a multimedia company, going beyond photography and words into audio and video. I'd say the other work, the other streams would be an e-commerce element. So how do we interact with our fans and, um, you know, selling prints and books and merchandise? And if there's a specific project in the future, is there a crowdfunding campaign? You know, we are doing a refugees project at the moment globally. Uh, we're working with around 40 uh, NGOs in 20 countries with about 70 refugees, giving them our cameras to document their lives and personal experiences through football, either in refugee camps or new host communities. And, you know, we don't know quite what that will look like when we launch it. But yeah, you know, that's something I might go to community and say, hey, we're doing this. Is this something people would like to support? We haven't crowdfunded up to now because I haven't felt there's been the right ask that I'm comfortable of. Um, but that could be one. Beyond that, there's a licensing model. So existing content that we've already created, making that available for uh, license by whoever wants it, predominantly media brands and photo agencies and then you know moving even further into the imagined future you know we are fundamentally probably looking at production what is the goal click approach to video it probably won't be like anything else disposable analog well video, no, video camera. you know we're, we're not analog zealots um <laughs> you know we know once we go into you know even words and audio video that analog retreats to being our initiation point it's you know it's what we use initially it's the kind of badge of membership but to grow bigger and to, to touch more people and to you know have a bigger footprint you know cannot just exist in the world of analog photos um but it's a really important part of our identity i guess the analog thing is more it's sort of availability isn't it you can send as you do analog cameras anywhere in the world anyone can operate them as soon as you start entering things like digital you start losing that access to a certain extent right you do but i think where gold click sweet spot would be that kind of blend between more traditional cinematically shot footage and user-generated content at the moment you kind of have either or you have either a massive user-generated footage um just overwhelming and impossible to really look at and manage effectively and you have you know brilliant documentary filmmakers and you know wonderful films and short pieces coming out from that world i feel like we're somewhere hybrid in the middle um is what i would sense a gold click approach would look like but we're working through that at the moment and that's kind of the the plan i mean there is there is an element where also if we're going down some of the more socially responsible projects that we're doing where there is a grant-based strategy and obviously in time you know we may look to go to investors and I know that social enterprises like yourself do have the option of applying for far more grants, etc. Is that something that you've done? Is, is that just something you've not got around to doing? No, it's it's not it's not been a priority of ours at the moment. Um, I think we see the most potential to work with that sector in a partnership sense at the moment. So you know we are working with UNHCR, UNICEF, Red Cross, Right to Play as part of our refugee project. We like to be partners with them at the moment. We haven't explored any funding or grant options. <laughs> 
you spoke about disposable analog cameras, <laughs> the three reasons we use them and like them. One, equality. There's something amazing about having every storyteller equal with the same tool. Number two is patience in our modern world of taking thousands of photos that we never really look at. We really encourage our storytellers to be patient, never take the same photo more than once, take their time, wait for the right moment and the story they want to tell. And then we value those photos more. I think you see that from the reaction we get. Scarcity, quality over quantity. And the third reason, they just look great. <laughs> you know, you know, let's not put too fine a point on it. And sometimes I think, you know, we risk over analyzing and intellectualizing it. They're fun. They're cool. They look good. They're not perfect, but that makes them even better. So we like that as the start point to all of our storytellers journeys that is very interesting i think because what you're saying there is something about temporality as well the way that we because football is it is just an experience right and we've become so adept with increasing technology to be able to sort of crystallize that experience into something that you do lose i guess something in having digital media where you can be like nope that's not good enough or you, you i mean you, you you just need to listen to photographers at football matches where they take a shot and you can hear nine shots yeah, being yeah. taken and they pick the best one yeah. i think that's something that you appreciate when you look at goal click photos is that you're like wow this is this is that moment this is the one photo that they took from that event that that will will stand out i know the the pictures that stand out in my mind are the is the one with the kids on crutches that was one of the original ones that you did is that sierra leone there's the picture of the snipers on the roof in mexico and then there's the is it the japanese kids running through the snow for me this is something i tried to to do more of when i was when i was working in the industry as a football editor was was just saying look let's in, look, photography is hugely undervalued really in sport even in the in the professional level i was i had access to a, a picture licensing website that had thousands of photos going up over the weekend and what i started doing was like at the beginning of each on a monday i would just sit through sift through the best ones and say look there's and almost no commentary whatsoever just say look here's a great photo here's a great photo and i think that that the need that people have actually for that aesthetic and i guess it's even tactile that that appreciation actually if you look at a piece of art or look at a photo as a piece of art which i think we don't do because we have so much like you say when you when you go on websites now it's just picture after picture and they're all great but that married with the, the idea that that what you're doing is almost you are slowing down time you are making this movement between sort of nodal points that are like knots in time rather than like this idea of time as a sort of linear thing you're saying look there's meaning here there's like this is a this is a moment this is this is what it's all about um i think that's really i don't this is this is the, the terrible thing which is like more of a comment than a question but um you can respond to that to, to what extent do you feel as though you're doing something that's almost an artist artistic project yeah like one of the things we say in our very short set of guidelines for our photographers which is basically try and take things in the daylight don't take the same photo more than once and remember ultimately it's an art project these photos will go and be admired and loved and hopefully go in exhibitions so whilst there's powerful stories behind it also you know there is an art form to it as well i'm consistently amazed with the quality of the photos we get back from all different types of people at all ages in all countries you know our peruvian inca guides you know playing football on machu picchu i would encourage any of your listeners to get out their phones and look at goal-click.com while I'm talking about these photos so they can kind of see them as I'm speaking. But, you know, that's an amazing moment that is captured with the um, the mountain fog around them. You know, Serbia, David Vajanic's photo, which is probably 
from an aesthetic point of view, the best photo that has been taken as part of the project so far of the goalkeeper coming out of the mist. Why is there always mist? Um, goalkeeper coming out of the mist caused by flares at the Serbian Belgrade derby. You know, his story around how he took that photo is, is pretty funny. He, um, he'd completely forgotten about his analog camera that he had with him and all of the photographers who were around him had their massive long lens cameras. And he then suddenly remembered, took that photo and it is, you know, it's, it's, by any standard, it's an amazing photo. So the Serbian stuff is, is great. You mentioned Mexico, the university band playing in the stands, and then your eyes drift up to the row of Mexican police snipers. And our Mexican photographer, Pablo, doesn't even like football. And he was fascinated by the kind of militarization of Premier League football in, in Mexico and that kind of clash with the fun and excitement of the fans versus the, you know, the police control of the, of the space. Um, you mentioned Sierra Leone, the iconic first ever photo we ever received back, um, of the amputee football team coming towards the camera with the balls in front of them on their crutches. You know, all these photos are, they're unique and they're the only one that exists. And there wasn't eight of those photos that we chose one of. That was it. We did a, a whole series ahead of the World Cup last year because we saw there was such a difference in the kind of ongoing media narrative of Russia versus what we'd found in Russia when we'd worked there initially in 2015. And our Russian series really, you know, beautifully encapsulates the real Russia. So I'm constantly blown away by the range and the different types of stories that um, goal click photographers tell there isn't a there isn't an image where you see repeated over and over again um it does weirdly happen to be that fog and flares do seem to like work very well um you know our bulgarian photographer lubo recently took photos at the csk sofia 70th birthday anniversary and took an amazing shot of you know the game shrouded in flare smoke so maybe there's something in flares but um you know outside of that there are there are such great beautiful moments that are captured um in australia the ultra with a loud hailer it's just shot beautifully and it's the only one we got of that it wasn't five other ones of him it was just that one so people have a good eye and if you give them the chance the opportunity to do something they'll often surprise you you know these are not professional photographers in most cases these are ordinary people or extraordinary people without formal photography training given a really simple tool to tell their tell their story you mentioned before that you uh, obviously started out in the sports marketing industry and i was wanting to ask you the extent to which you feel as though you should keep up with that that industry also the the media industry in general do you feel as though you have a responsibility to to follow what's going on or is do you feel as though what you're doing is is almost unique in a sense that there isn't really much overlap no it's absolutely essential it's complete overlap i still read as much about the sports marketing world as i did when i was working in it for nine years our natural target for partnerships are organizations involved in the world of football um, whether that be FIFA, UEFA, the Qatar World Cup, Premier League, FA, or whether it's brands involved in sports sponsorship, whether it's the Adidas and Nikes of this world, or the brands who are coming in to sponsor high-level football. Um, it's you know, it's a feature of my day that I uh, that I know what's going on, and, and clearly, you know, most of my friends, uh, from a work perspective, work in this industry. So, you know, my fifteen hundred strong database 
which really needs to go onto a CRM system at some point, um, is a real mixture of sports marketing people working at agencies and brands and rights holders, um, through journalists, through players and coaches and photographers. And it's a real diversity of the game and the world, really. We never want to be known for one thing over another. We don't want to be known as, oh, they do fan culture or, oh, they do grassroots sport for development or, oh, they just work with players because there's other great organizations who do have that. And we work with most of them. <laughs> you know, Copper 90 own fan content to an extent these days. Players Tribune are telling the stories of professional athletes. We're working across all of that and, you know, we're obviously strong in the sport for development space. So it's essential to know what's going on in the world of commercial sport because that guides everything and it's here it's staying in many ways it's amazing that football has become this creator of opportunities this isn't something you hear and people talk about much you know people are starting to criticize football in many ways rightly um for excesses but i mean i look back at you know what football was in my parents days um Yes, you know, there's a probably a nostalgic look back to the way things were, but footballers didn't earn anything. The football industry didn't create many jobs. It didn't give that much pleasure to, you know, the whole world. I'm, whilst it's good to be cynical of the excesses of modern football, like, let's also kind of remember what amazing stuff football is doing for the world. And yeah, I, I've always been someone that wants to work inside the industry to help shape it rather than throw stones at it from outside. And in fact, like people criticize a lot of mega events as not leaving a legacy. And and that's true in many, many cases, but uh, there's been also great examples of times when it has helped. Um, So yeah, I'm generally wanting to find a way for the positive values of Gold Click to help shape the future direction of the football world. But I'm on balance an advocate for the football industry on balance. <laughs> You've mentioned a few football media outlets positively, but the majority have been in the sort of same area as you. Is there any notable media outlets that are beyond that that you particularly enjoy, think are doing good things? I mean, Gold Click is by its very nature quite a globalist, international organization and mindset i wouldn't confuse that necessarily with a political standpoint we are totally neutral we don't go one way or the other as a as an organization but clearly in our dna is a you know a desire to be connecting with people from every country in the world so i tend to also see organizations which do have that global storytelling element in them as inspirations so i think that rose and kingdoms do some great stuff, and we we are fortunate enough, fortunate enough to do a piece of them around our um, around our World Cup work. I think that personally, I consume a lot of uh, Fast Company, which you know is normally how I get my information around what's going on in the tech world and what are the kind of trends shaping you know the media and design. And um, I like their output. I think the majority of my time engaging with media now is probably through audio. I'm not just saying that because we're on a podcast right now. But from a sport perspective, even though I guess I slightly try and escape from the world of sport when I do listen to podcasts, I thought David Goldblatt's Game of Our Lives was excellent. Both the first series, which wasn't um, directed at the World Cup, and then the most recent one, which was. I think beyond that, 
I tend to listen to podcasts which don't necessarily cover sport but do occasionally and they're, they're usually quite US storytelling focused so Snap Judgment, This American Life, Reply All, Startup, Planet Money you know they're all providing inspiration for what a gold click podcast might sound like which will put the voices of the storytellers at the center um you know it won't be a conversation like we're having now it will probably be more in that tradition of allowing that person to tell their their story so yeah i would say that's kind of my own personal diet and is something that has been relevant for where gold click is going next well, you've given me a lot of your time. The question I end every episode with is about the future of the media, where you see it going. So where do you see the future of the media going? And that's a big question. And how do you see Gold Click fitting within that future? Wow. Well, if you want the dystopian view. <laughs> is there any other? Yeah, if you want the dystopian view, it's sad to say, but it feels like lots more quality content going behind paywalls, which price out the ordinary and slightly poorer elements of society and high quality journalism as it would be called retreats out of view of normal society and what we left with i hope that doesn't happen but it's hard to feel that it isn't going that way i think that we are just naturally in a place where it's never been easier for people to tell their own stories so we want to take advantage of that by giving it a little bit more curation so it's not just a a wall of content and, and noise it's um, you know working with people to help them tell their stories in a interesting powerful way that cuts through so on the one hand isn't it amazing that the democratization of media means that we can hear from so many of these voices that were like marginalized not heard not cared about but then there's that dystopian view which is a real divergence between more mainstream professional news outlets retreating and you know making money behind paywalls and through subscriptions it's a model that's working i mean look at the guardian just did their millionth millionth paying customer and hopefully they that allows them to continue their model for giving free news to the people but paywalls is necessary but it can also be an unintended consequence that means that news is taken away from mass audience you won't be going behind a paywall on gold click anytime soon. I mean, look, there's uh, no, but I, you know, I see some of the models whereby people pay for content to ensure that the majority is free is seems to be where the industry is going at the moment. I think it's having that balance and not being either or, but having that spectrum, which is something, you know, I'm clearly a fan of beautiful grey and indecision and debate and not being cut and dry. I think whenever we try and score a point by saying that's good that's bad or this is right this is wrong you know i think we're on a slippery slope there is nuance is good well thank you very much for coming on the show today tell us about how we can follow you how we can uh, avail ourselves of gold click so yeah i don't think you want to follow me um but feel free to uh, gold click um on instagram at gold click g-o-a-l-c-l-i-c-k and twitter at goal underscore click also the website goal-click.com is the full gamut of punctuation in there yeah (laughs) oh yeah actually that's very true we when we were starting out we had to use hyphens and underscores where um actually you want a confession uh, we also own at goal click on twitter 
but we got locked out of it and Twitter never allowed us to go back into it. So yeah, sadly it's been sitting there. If anyone from Twitter is listening, the at goal click handle is sitting there dormant because uh, I got locked out of it very early on in my days because we were using a couple of different email addresses. So yeah, help if you're from Twitter, rescue at goal <laughs> if you click. you know anything about how to get around those Twitter. Yeah, oh, that, that is frustrating. And then... Yeah, we're okay with goal hyphen click as our um, as our website because most people just type in a search goal click they don't type in the domain address anymore so that's fine and watch out for our new series around the women's world cup um very very exciting and we hope to be exhibiting in france as i said hopefully in Lyon. and yeah get in touch if you would like to uh either be part of the project or know someone in a in a place that we should connect with, you know, the strength of Gold Click is in its network. So if you if you like the sound of it and you like the photos and you like the stories, I am always open to talking to new people. Matt, thanks for being on today. Thanks for listening to the Football Media Podcast with me, John McKenzie. If you enjoyed the episode, please subscribe, rate and review on iTunes or follow us on Twitter at Footy Media Pod. You can tune in next week to hear a roundtable discussion on women and the football media. But until then, have a good week. Goodbye. Thank you.